So, trust. We're going to be carrying on here. So, trust. Let's, let's talk about this for a sec. It's a hard thing to form, and it's a hard thing to keep. So, a trusting relationship takes time. And there's a lot of effort on everyone's behalf to build that trust. We often hear, you know, uh, and see in the news, this person betrayed our trust. You know, they did something that just shook the nation or shook our community. And, you know, that's, it, that's, that's a difficult thing for us to swallow, right? Um, and the trust is gone because of one person's actions or words. But when we put our trust in something or something, someone or something that's went wrong, we expect or we, we expect that things shouldn't go wrong because we have an agreement or something should be honored um, and that's to have the best uh, interest in mind of that particular person. And often, you know, as we go through our lives, we need to ask a person to prove the trust in them over and over and over and over again for certain things. And, you know, we did this as kids. Right, we can all. I, I did it. I'm sure everybody has done it. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But I'm, I'm putting my convictions on the table. I know I've done it. So you know, you ask like, you know, hey, if you swear to me on this, then I'll trust you with this type of thing. You know, and that's that's not a good thing to do. Sometimes we have to have just have to have plain old trust. And when the person doesn't uh, live up to their end of the bargain, so to speak, that deal is broken. And even. When a person has been faithful in everything they have said and everything they have done, we have this desire or this need to just a little bit more insurance, right? We need more assurance to fully trust in that person. And we may not even know that we're doing this and that we keep asking it over and over and over, like just subconsciously, the words just kind of come out. It just, maybe it's a lack of knowledge, maybe it's a lack of a person's faith in someone's ability, um, you know, and sometimes we, we can't see the forest for the trees, right? We've heard that term before, and it's sometimes right in front of us, that is what we need right there, that is the trust factor that kind of builds in. So, last week we were in John 14, we looked at verses 1 to 7, and we started to see, this is the upper room discourse, right? And we started to see that they, we have a guarantee in a risen Savior. And he notes that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's one of the big verses in that verse 6. And that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus, right? That, that's, except through him. That is exactly what's supposed to happen. And thank goodness we have Christ in our lives as a group of believers. That way we have that assurance. We will not be separated. We will be with him in eternity. And that we do have a future with him. So let's carry on where we left off last week, and we're going to finish off that first section of John 14, okay, where Jesus keeps speaking, he continues to speak to the apostles regarding him being the way to the Father. So if you have your Bibles handy, um, you can turn to John 14, uh, we're going to look at verses 8 to 14, and we're going to see what Jesus continues to say to the apostles. So why don't we get into God's word together? Let's look at the word. Let's tear it apart. And let's see what the author's intended meaning is. So John 14 verses 8 to 14. <clears throat> so this is God's word. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? 
the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works will, these be, will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. May God bless the reading of his perfect holy word. Now, John 14. You know, it's talking about Jesus. He's, he's talking to the apostles. He's talking about his departure that's going to be happening. This is, this is coming up. And this sacrifice you know, it serves as a benefit for them. It serves as a benefit for all of us. May not see it right now because they're worried, oh, he's leaving. He's going he's gonna to be, be gone. He's going to be killed. He's leaving. You know, they don't see the benefit, but there is benefit. They don't see it right now, but they soon will. You know, and the sacrifice on the cross, that was Jesus' main thing, is that he was brought here, he came here to be the atonement for us. We are not worthy. He came here to defeat sin, Satan, and death on the cross. He knew what his mission was. He knew the mission would be accomplished. And he knew what would happen as a result of that. Now, the sacrifice is huge. We know that, right? It's in that offering, like you, you look in the Old Testament, you hear a lot talk about like the, like the different types of offerings and, and that sort of thing, like the blood offering. Well, there's no greater offering than Christ because he was the perfect sacrifice, perfect in every single form. They talk about the Paschal lamb. When you hear that in the Old Testament, okay, Paschal lamb in, in, in Hebrew, that means a lamb without blemish, no spots, no broken bones, nothing. Nothing's wrong with it. And that they try to use a lamb as an atonement for sin, you know, and different animals and stuff. But Christ is the atonement. He is the perfect, he is the perfect sacrifice for all of us, you know. And what better way to lay, like, that for the apostles to understand that Christ is going to lay down his life. Like, he is going to lay this down, not just for him, but for the entire world, right? He is, he is going to be the atonement for sin so that we do not have separation from God the Father. And that is a big relationship. And then he, Jesus continues to talk about this relationship, right? He centers around the fact of having faith in him and him alone is how to attain relationship with the Father. So there is no separation for eternity, you know? And, you know, he, the apostles have been with him for two years. They've been watching him. They've been learning from him. They're seeing him perform miracles. They see him exercising demons, or maybe a, maybe a better term is commanding the demons, hey, get out, flee from the people, right? And it's because of his word. He refutes the Jewish leaders, and yet they still don't understand it. They don't understand fully him. They don't get it just yet. They have no clue what it takes to get to the Father. And we've seen that already. He, so he's trying to break this down and trying to explain it to him. He's coming at them from different angles to get the point across. You know, and they even question him. The apostles question him just to try to be sure, right? And even though they should be sure by now, they've been with him for two years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, they still don't know for sure, is he the Messiah? Like, you know, they, they don't have that trust factor built in. And we go back to verse 5, where Thomas asked Jesus, he goes, Lord, we do not know where you are going. 
How can we know the way? So, you know, as we start to move forward in this text, we now see Philip asks another question. Again, Jesus answered that question in verse 5. Now Philip asks a question. Well, I, I just, basically, I don't get it. I need more proof. I don't understand. So he goes into verse 8. And what does Philip say in verse 8? So he says, Lord, show us the Father, okay, and it is enough for us. So after all the proof, after all the time, Philip still, he, he still need more proof. Show me the Father, and it will be good enough. I mean, like, Jesus hasn't already done everything, like, proven everything to them, you know, that he is, he is the Son incarnate. He is the Messiah. Like, they, I guess Philip just needed a little bit more proof, right? I, it, I mean, it doesn't make, it's, it, I, I don't understand how you could question it, because my mind is, if I was there, I mean, I wasn't there, but I mean, if I was there, my mind would be blown about what is happening. Like, look at this. This is incredible, right? And, and what does Jesus say to Philip? So he, he, he answers this question. He says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Like he's saying, I'm right here. Like, you, I'm, how can you say, show me the Father? I've been telling you all along. The Father, I am the Father and the Father is in me. I'm right here. And he continues on. Now he starts asking Philip more questions. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And that the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. You know, as humans, right, we need to see evidence to prove something in anything and everything. Does this work? Okay, how does this work? Oh, I don't understand. Well, this doesn't make any sense. Well, this is how this works. We have to see the evidence, right? You know, human nature, we have to see it before we can believe it and commit to it. And basically, that's what Philip is saying. He goes, hey, if you show us the Father, that'll solidify our belief. Like, and, you know, when we start, we need so much proof in, the, in this day and age. Well, the evidence has to be there. The evidence has to be there. I mean, what more evidence do you need, right? When you think about this, atheists and agnostics, they echo this type of proof in order to believe, right? They say, if God would only fulfill my particular needs for my faith based on some miracle or some grandiose sign, you know, I'll believe. If God would actually come to me and say, hey, look at this, here I am, shouting from the sky, hey, I'm right here, you know, then I'll believe. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because we need what's called empirical evidence, right? Um, you know, to show it's, yes, it's real. I got to believe, you know, I got to see it. I got to touch it. I got to smell it. I got, you know, whatever, right? I just got to, I got to feel it. I got to see it right there. So <clears throat> if anyone's in here has any form of health, like I'm a medic. So, you know, it's been told to us, you know, just kind of putting this in perspective. So, you know, when we breathe air in right now, we're breathing a normal atmospheric sea level. It's 78% nitrogen. 21% oxygen and 1% trace gases. So like your inner gases, I call it fart dust basically. Okay, we inhale that 21% and then we exhale 16. So we only need 5% of that oxygen to keep our cells doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, now I've never seen an oxygen, oxygen molecule out of my body, but I believe it's there. Why? Because you know, uh, my brain's perfusing. Some may say, I don't know, Dwayne, you might have a little lack of eye, but I've never seen nitrogen go into my body and come out the molecules, but I believe they're there because everything's functioning. Everything's, 
you know, everything's working. But the point is, I don't need to see those molecules, none of us do, to know that things are working, right? Because we've been told they're there, and there is proof out there, but we don't actually have the microscopes and looking under and saying, oh, look, there's a proper, it doesn't, we know that it's there. And just as Jesus told his apostles, he's right here. If you're, if you're looking at the, for the Father, the Father is in me. I am in the Father. Where I'm right here. If you see me, you see the Father. You see God Almighty. But in today's society, there needs to be more. Uh, and even in Jesus' time, like they needed more. Some unbelievable display. right? Some incredible event. You know, to fully convince that what is being said is actually true. Now, one of the most incredible examples of the Bible of Jesus healing, there's so many, right? You know, that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Like, I mean, what more proof do you need? Like, no one, only God gives life. Only God can take life. We know that. The Bible says that, right? Is he not the master of all things? And as a result of Lazarus's being risen from the, like, you know, resurrected, like, you know, bring him back from the dead, what happened? Well, the Jewish leaders, they're like, we need to kill him. We need to kill Jesus. We need to kill Lazarus. And why? They sought after him because so many Jews were going and following the gospel. You know, I mean, what more proof do you need? Like, he is the Messiah, you know, and they still didn't believe. So Jesus starts to respond to Philip again. And we look at the latter part of verse 9, and which he shows he is totally sufficient for belief. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is what we need for faith, okay? We go back to that. We talked about the I am statement uh, last week, right? You know, and we think about where Jesus declares, I am the way, okay? It proves, you know, because we saw it. We talked about Exodus. We kind of referred to that. You know, where God says, I am who I am. He, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we may ask, like, you know, why, why would Philip ask a question like this? Like, what, what is going through your mind? Biblically, it does not say. It does not say in the Bible, Philip asked this question because of X, Y, and Z. It doesn't say that. However, Jesus has laid some pretty heavy news down. So I am sure, you know, he's talking about betrayal. You know, this is coming up as well as kind of pre, you know, denial and preparation for his upcoming suffering that he's about to endure. So I don't know why he asked it. The Bible doesn't say, but I'm sure that news really shook them. I, I, I would imagine. That's why they keep asking, like, you know. So, and when we speak of proof, like we start thinking about proof here. You know, if we look at uh, John 1, verses 16 to 18, and this, these verses kind of solidify proof. So, it says here, From the fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And when you look at that verse 18 in John 1, that's kind of the, 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 the hinge verse there. That's the hinge part of that. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God, right, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So we begin to see that it's because of Christ that God has been displayed in all of his glory. Jesus came. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law and he made it perfect. Okay? And the way he did that was through the sacrifice on the cross. Because the law was actually established. Now you have to think, if you, if you look back in your Old Testament, why was Moses given the law? It was because man was unrighteous and rebellious and they needed a savior. So God started putting these laws into place to kind of start to form some regulations, right? And if we have Jesus, right, we have enough. This is completion in seeing God through the risen belief, through the belief, sorry, through the belief in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus carries on with this. He goes on to explain further to Philip. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? There's a lot going on in that verse, right? And he's trying to tell him, like, he alone's enough. That's it. There's nothing else to show you. It's, you have me and I am in the Father and the Father is in me. There's nothing else to find. There's no special training to do. I'm not keeping any secrets from you. There's no treasure chest buried over there that's saying, this is how you're going to see the Father. Like, there's, there's nothing else. It, that's, this is it. it it's, there's nothing else to tell you, right? And he's trying to tell him this, that I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. And when you see repeated statements, um, he, uh, sorry, when he repeats these statements uh, to know that he is in the Father, if it's, it's constant in the book of John. He keeps saying, hey, I'm right here. Look at me. You know, if you want to see the glory of God, here it is right here. Just look at me. Here I am. That's what he's trying to say. And they're just not getting it. I mean... Anyway, um, and lots of verses. A good example of this. John 5, 26, right? He rebukes the Jewish leaders because he was breaking uh, the Sabbath law by healing on the Sabbath. And he, what does he say clearly in John 5, 26? He goes, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus is equating himself with God. And he proclaims this. In this chapter, that the Son of God has authority over all. The Creator is in charge of the creation. That's, that's what it works. And when, when we surrender our lives to Christ, okay, we have enough. We have enough. When we know Jesus, we have that relationship with God the Father. And to know Him is to know God the Father. That is, He's been trying to hammer this message out. And he's coming at it from different angles, trying to explain it so they understand. But they're, they're not getting it, right? And Jesus didn't come here for himself, but to do the will of God. He came here to do the will of the Father. And he repeatedly says this again, where we continue on in verse 10. He says, the words I say to you, I do not speak <clears throat> on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus wasn't here on his own authority. He made that perfectly clear. The Father sent him to be that sacrifice for us because we fall so far short of the glory of God. At the end of the day, his sacrifice brought the ultimate glory to God because it showed 
that everything has happened. It came true. The Father sent His own Son to be the atonement for our sins. It's important for us to reflect and remember that when we start thinking about, uh, when we start reading the Bible and think about the, uh, the ultimate goal. Christ came here to die, to be the sacrifice for us, to the, the pay the penalty that we had, could not pay in any way, shape, or form. And we know this is true because the verses that follow, if we jump into John 17, and we look at verses 1 to 5, and this is when Jesus tells the apostle that they are going to have tribulation. It's going to be, he's going to be leaving them very, very soon. And that they would be in a world of trials because of their faith and belief. Okay? But there's also a second message in there. They are going to be comforted. And he tells them to take heart. Because he has already overcome the world and all that's in it. He has already overcome it. This is going to happen. It's done. He's going to take care of it. And I'll just read John 17, 1 to 5. So Jesus says, When he had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So those five verses, they talk about a lot of different things in here. And at the end of the day, it's saying everything that Jesus has already said to them, okay, at, at the uh, in the upper room discourse, and this is proving this, that I'm going to be leaving. I have come from the Father. Yes, I've glorified you. My mission is going to be accomplished soon. Okay? And everything is going to come to fruition. It's all going to come full circle. And again, to know Jesus is to know the Father. This is, this is the, the, the cusp of all these verses. He's trying to drive this across, right? He's been saying it over and over. And I've been saying it over and over and over, right? And, you know, for them, as well as us, if we do have that relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with God the Father. We will not be separated. We will have, we will be safe with Him. We have no, we don't have to fear for anything. And we, okay, let's carry on. Let's move on into verse 10. And it goes on to state, there's a lot going on in this verse as well. So, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. So, it is His holy works that Jesus displayed. So, everyone could see and this is to, to serve to be a mirrored image of God himself okay it's because God dwells in Christ that the works are for the glory of God alone I mean who else can raise the dead who else can drive out demons by saying leave okay walk on water you know uh, give sight to the blind healing lepers with just a touch making a, a lame man walk curing a bleeding disease you know who could be the perfect sacrifice to avoid the wrath of God, okay? And who else can defeat sin, Satan, and death? I know I can't. I don't think anybody else in here can either. It's only through the work accomplished on the cross through Jesus Christ. So as we move into verse 11, it shows Christ, Jesus is still trying to justify, okay? Make them understand, help them understand that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And there's, like I said, there's something to be said for repetition, right? 
And when you see repetition in the Bible, when the same things are said over and over and over and over and over, maybe the wording's a little different, it means it's important, okay? Um, it, it's, it's important, and sometimes the wording changes to try to say, well, maybe I'll explain it like this. 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 Everybody learns things differently. Everybody processes things differently. There's different types of learners, right? And he's trying to explain this over and over and really stress the point, you know, and for us as well, when we read the Bible, like we, we should also listen and understand, right? And ask questions, ask questions. I don't understand this. Do some digging, read. And sometimes it's, we may have heard it, but are we listening? That's one of the big things. And we see in verse 11, he reiterates again, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Again, trying to get that point across. He's trying to drive it home. Jesus tells him, first of all, to believe. Okay? Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now, my friends, saving faith, okay, is trust in a person. But it also has to have some factual content. John MacArthur has said that, okay? Faith includes believing that Jesus is in one with the Father. And he even says at the end of this verse, he goes, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. So everything Christ has done up until this point, and it continues to do, uh, is to mirror the image of God the Father. He's saying, look it, everything I've said reflects God. Everything I've taught you reflects God. Everything I performed reflects God. I'm doing that for his glory and his glory alone. Now, to, to help kind of support that, John 5 verse 36 shows that the works of Christ reflect the Father and his presence. And that God alone receives the glory. John 5 36 says, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. I don't know how much more proof we need than that. Like that is, that says everything right there. The works he has done, God has said, you need to do this. And here I am, I'm doing this for the glory of God. Now, the works that they have seen Jesus perform, whether that's like talking, verbal, rebuking people, telling demons to leave, okay, or the hands-on stuff where he touches and they heal, or walking on water, right? These are all for the glory of God, okay? And we know that works without faith are considered dead works. And faith without works are considered, your faith is considered to be dead, okay? Remember, we're not based on our works alone. That, it doesn't work that way. So now, when we move on, Jesus keeps talking. He's trying to help the apostles understand, you know, about the belief in God and that they are one and the same. You know, the Father and the Son, the Son is in the Father, right? Now, but if we look at verse 12, so listen to what this says. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So that's, that's a big statement. Like that's when you... Like, let me read that again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, will he do, because I am going to the Father. So, that's, that's, a, that's a big statement. So, what is, what is Jesus saying here? Well, it's saying that 
Is, is he saying that... Let me, let me rephrase this. Um, is he saying that if we believe in him, we can do the exact same things as him? You know, is that what it says? No, it doesn't. Okay. I can't walk on water. I can't turn water to wine. I can't heal the sick just by touching them. And I can't be the perfect sacrifice for God. Okay. It's not, he's not saying, if you believe in me, you can do exactly what I can do. It's not what it means. You know, but at first glance, some people say, well, the Bible says that. It's got to be true. I should be able to do that. You know, well, no, no. It's, that's not what it means. Okay. What he's trying to say here is that it's not the greater works in power. Okay. But it's the extent of the works that would be greater. We have a duty to proclaim the gospel far and wide for all the world to hear it. It's called the Great Commission. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Anybody who hasn't heard the name of Jesus, we're supposed to bring that to them. Okay? And the apostles would become witnesses to the entire world because of the power of the Holy Spirit that will be indwelled in them shortly. It is their responsibility now. He's telling them. You need to bring this gospel to as many people as you can, right? And in turn, more people here and more people here. Like, we're not in Israel. We're in Canada. It's, it's over here, and here we are. This, that is our duty. That is the job, right? Because Christ wants to bring many people to salvation because he knows if, they, if people do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no hope of eternity with him. Now, the focus of verse 12 is spiritual rather than the physical miracles. Okay, yeah, the apostles did do some incredible things. Okay? They did some acts that are really unbelievable. You know, hence the term the book of Acts. That's about the apostles what they did, right? The book of Acts that, that it's not like they're acting oh, take four. It's this is what took place, okay? Um, and it gives an account of the impact that the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit indwelled the apostles, that they, the impact they had on the world. And we look where Jesus says, whoever believes in me, that includes us. Okay, that includes all of us. We are to bring the gospel of Christ to those who have not heard it. It's our responsibility, like I said before, as believers in Christ, we do have a responsibility for that great commission. The great commission is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire world. That's our first job. Basically, this is our job. And we see, let's kind of finish off verse 12 here. So, and you see the ending of verse 12. It says, because I am going to the Father. So, why does he say this? What is going on there? So, he's telling them this because the only way they'd be able to do these greater works is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit hasn't been sent yet. Okay? He, Jesus, he hasn't fulfilled everything on the cross. It's coming. But it's not there yet. He has to be with his Father in heaven in order for the Holy Spirit to penetrate them. And we see this. We look at Acts. We look at Acts one verses one to five, where Jesus tells them before he goes to before he goes to heaven, he goes, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And we know that the Bible says when the Holy Spirit came. Into that room, it was like a mighty wind. It doesn't say, mighty wind has is, is got to be enormous. Um, because it doesn't say, oh, it shook the rafters, it blew the roof off. But it was a mighty wind nonetheless. Right? And we, I'm not going to get into Acts right now. We'll save that for another sermon. Maybe we can talk about that. But we see that Jerry, Jesus kind of carries on now. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
Now, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. This doesn't mean if we're on the mission field, you know, doing the Great Commission, and we pray, oh, Jesus, I could really use that million dollars because I'm going through some rough terrain here. I'd like to have a, a Humvee, and, you know, maybe when I get on the roads, I need a Porsche, and people will see, yep, there comes the, there comes the missionary. Look at what he's done. That's not what it means, okay? It's about prayer, okay? It's about prayer. And the intended meaning is when you ask in his name, it's for supplication, it's to have you get the right words to the right person, you know, at the right time, in, in the right environment. It's, it's, about, it's about glorifying God through the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit help us choose the right words to the people so that way it, it's, it's glory to Him. So people can hear the name. And when we remember in all this, you know, what prayer is meant for, again... It's for Christ's purposes. It's for his kingdom. It's not for us. It's not for selfish gain. That's why I kind of use the Porsche Hummer type thing. Just anyway, I drive a Ford Ranger, but that's fine. And it, it's kind of starting to rot, but that's okay. It gets me where I need to go. And that's, that's what I need at this time. That's all I need. So that's what God has given me. And that's perfect. So, and when we ask for this supplication, right? It, it's for, it's on Christ's merits. It's not on ours. It's not on our, for our personal merit or on our personal merit, okay? Or our worthiness, because we are not worthy. We are not, right? And when we ask for help in Christ, it's to bring glory to him and to him alone. And Jesus reiterates it again. He says this in verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay? It's important because it's God's plan. It's for his purpose. It's for his glory and his glory only, Okay? And when we pray for these things, in Jesus' name we pray, it's because we are dependent upon him. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to, to dwell within us so that we may be an example for people and, you know, be able to utter the right words when they're needed at the right time. And God, he always knows the right time. His plan's perfect, and it'll, it'll, never, it'll never be thwarted, right? Okay, so how does this affect us? Okay, I've kind of been blabbing on now for half an hour or so. How does this affect us? How do we apply John 14, verses 8 to 14, to our lives, like daily? How, how does this apply? So, there's a couple things. You know, is there a condition to meet? Yeah, there is. There absolutely is. And we've seen in these verses, right, <clears throat> that to believe that the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son. We need, we need to believe that. We have to believe that. And Jesus is trying to tell the apostle at the time and us that you don't need some grand display. You don't need some all these fireworks going off and all flashy and stuff like that to see that the Father dwells in him, right? We've seen enough. We, we've heard it, okay? We have proof. Where do we have proof? We have our Bibles right here from Genesis to Revelation. It's about Jesus and Jesus only. It's about the beginning to the end because of the saving blood of Christ. Right from the beginning of Genesis, okay? Well, Genesis 3, 15, right? That's the proto-evangelical statement that Christ will be coming. That's when it's written down very, very early on in history, okay? So we are to trust and believe in Christ. We have to, just as we trust and believe in Christ that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And Jesus says to trust him. It's throughout the Bible. Okay, Mark 9, verse 23 says, a latter verse, when he's driving out the demon and the young boy, and he's being kind of rebuked in that, he says that all things are possible for one who believes. Because people couldn't believe how did this happen, we couldn't do it, okay? Belief and trust start early in our relationship with Jesus. Because we lean on that cross. We have to. We have nothing else. We have nothing else. 
And the second thing to take home is that, is there an example for us to follow? So there is, okay? We carry on with those works, right? To bring glory to God and to Him alone. Our lives should mirror giving glory to God. The works that we do should be God-honoring and give glory to Him and Him alone. And as believers, right? When, when we're first, con- when we know when we've first been saved, I want to say converted, when we've first been saved and our eyes have been opened, the scales have fallen off and the chains are off and we're free, right? We have a change of heart. We should have a change of heart. It starts there because of the blood of Christ, right? And a, when the reflection, when a believer should perform the works of God are to give glory to him, I can't say that enough because that's at the end of the episode about. And, you know, when people look at us, they see a different person and don't think people aren't watching because they are. They will watch and watch and watch, right? We talk differently. We act differently. You know, we, we go the extra mile because of Christ in situations, right? You know, we're, we're, we go, we're a little more empathetic, right? At least that's how, for me, you know, we, they, we act different. We talk different. You know, we spend our time doing different things, you know, that are God focused and God honoring and and driving home to that. So, and the Bible says, excuse me, in Matthew 5 verse 15, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So at the end of the day, my friends, we need to show others what a believer stands for based on our works for Christ. Remember that salvation is not through works, but our works for Christ are a result of our salvation through Jesus. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to hear your word. Lord, we we try and understand your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit penetrating us and bringing us closer together as a group of believers. As believers, we need to mirror what a Christian should look like in our works for you. Not for our personal gain, but for the glory of you, God and the Father. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We ask you to give us strength and conviction and knowledge as we go about our week, that we may have the opportunity to bring that great commission to someone who has never heard the name of Jesus. Lord, we know that you know each and everyone's needs, and we thank you for what you have done for us both in our triumphs and, more importantly, in our trials, because that is where faith is really tested. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the cross. And we ask all this in the precious name of Christ. Amen.